The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the All-Star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. It's going to be all ESPN employees, former player, now broadcaster, and professor at UConn, Doug Glanville. Dan Schulman, who does play-by-play for the Toronto Blue Jays and ESPN. David Schoenfield from ESPN.com and Jesse Rogers from ESPN.com. But I tell you, every single time we have Doug on, it just seems like we all get smarter. I mean, what this guy does podcast the athletic he's a professor <laughs> all the tv work that he does here's doug glanville doug welcome back to ace cast live how are you i'm here i'm here all right <laughs> well it, it's great to have why well, are, are you still teaching at uconn and how's that going yeah well you know that's that's what i had going on i was just uh you know we have our staff meeting and uh we're closing out the semester but i'll tell you it was really unique this semester because we had to um you know, we had to deal with what everybody was dealing with, right? You have COVID, you have uh, protocols, you have students on campus, off campus, trying to figure out what the right decisions are. So we were online, and uh, I think it went really well. I teach a sport in society class, so we look at the intersection of sports and some of the social issues in 2020, especially with the pandemic and how much sports played this tremendous role from opening day on in so many sports. Um, we really had a lot of insight about our country. So, uh, and then, you know, overlap an election on that. And then you have, you know, so much going on. So yeah, it's been, it's been intense, but you know, baseball wrapped up and I know we're trying to sort through this crazy time of off season and economic uncertainty for the game. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, my wife's a first grade teacher and watching her with first graders on zoom. And then my kids started high school. They're freshmen. I have twins and they're doing it from my living room. It's just just the way we are learning now and the way these kids are having to adjust. And, and obviously, you're dealing with college kids, so it's probably a little bit easier. But as a teacher, it's got to be very, very bizarre. I know for my wife, it's very bizarre times. Well, I'll tell you, I, I always mention that I'm technically the vice principal of my kids' online school. And I've, as a teacher, I've tried to fire myself a number of times. Uh, has not worked. So uh, we've learned to embrace the uh, the online. And, and you know, I'll tell you, the second part of this, you know, since I guess it was we're talking March when we effectively started going on and, online in this, and then the summer, we had a little hybrid action there, but you have to be on your toes. And uh, you know, my wife definitely holds down a, a lot of it, but we, we try to collaborate. Four kids, you can imagine, <laughs> uh, I'm in literally in third grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and I'm in pre-K four. And I, thankfully I'm personally passing all these classes. <laughs> well, good on you. And, uh, you know, look at the landscape of baseball. I don't know what's going on with the Phillies, but there seems to be some mixed messages. Uh, you're around the Cubs. They're looking like they might be getting rid of some players. I mean, Doug, I'm not really sure how many teams we, – we know the Mets have a new owner and he's rich. They've talked about spending money. But I'm not sure we're going to see a whole lot of money spent this offseason. I don't see it. You know, I don't see it. You could just tell by whether the non-tenders right now, players not getting contracts, 
uh, you know, the economic uncertainty. I mean, how do you plan for anything uh, as an organization, a league, even as a player, when you don't know, A, how many games you're going to play? Are you going to play? Will the vaccine be required? Uh, are, is there going to be a DH or not if you're like, like a Kyle Schwarber with the Cubs? So you have a lot of questions. And so there's going to be just a lot of hesitation around what decisions to make because you think the information may possibly change you know, within the next week, 30 days. And that's a big problem for the game moving quickly towards, you know, getting a robust free agency and the signing period. So I think you'll see a lot of hesitation, maybe see if people will sign for discounts or exchange, you know, security for just the opportunity to just have a job. And uh, so I see it's a ways away. And then, you know, you add to 2021, you're going to be facing a new collective bargaining agreement at some point. And um, so a lot's going to hinge on how we come back and will this vaccine get back to some semblance of normal or will we still be sort of into these bubble lands? And uh, you you think about the fact a lot of teams, 50 percent, sometimes up to 60 percent of their revenue depends on the gates or depends on the fans being there. And when you don't know what that equation is, it's hard to make any moves. You know, talking about the the DH in the National League, I was always of the opinion that the the MLB players union would love this because it's an it's another high paying job why do you think we still have this hold up on the national league and the dh it's a good question i mean you know yes i was kind of i grew up in new jersey i had a national league fandom as a phillies fan uh, so i understand the nostalgia and some of the connections and even as a player who as i got older when I was on the bench in the National League, I actually appreciated the fact there were so many other opportunities for me to get in the game, right? Pinch hit, pinch run, double switch, all these things that happen all the time and more often National League games. Uh, but, you know, from a union standpoint, to say the Players Association, the designated hitter is effectively another job. You know, it's another hitter, another bat, and it's another opportunity to have someone else in the lineup. So I see that, you know, it was pretty successful this season and uh, I can see how they may actually made this, make this somewhat permanent, but it's also going to have to flow through the players association given the labor constructs around it. So uh, we'll see. Uh, I, I would miss, even though the pitcher hitting, I understand we're on A's cast here. So why would you want to watch the pitcher hitting? But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Everybody in their living room says, that's what I would look like. <laughs> so, so um, it's all good. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, you know, our, our audience and Moneyball and analytics, yeah, we have a lot of people go, I don't want to see the pitcher hit. But, you know, <laughs> when, when I think about these negotiations and I think about the players' union, I think about Major League Baseball, I mean, all of these, and we've talked, we talked to Rob Manfred, uh, we, we get to have him every year during the playoffs, there's so many things that I think that they want to do that the players union would love, right? They want to expand to more teams. So that's more jobs at the big league level. That's more jobs at the minor league level. I just, I, I, I don't understand what the hangup is of CBA. Just the fact that older free agents aren't getting the money, but for the most part, don't you think major league baseball is giving the players union what they want? Well, you know, I, I think that there's no question that, there's been a contentious history, right? <laughs> and sometimes even that history of fighting has been on things they agree on. You know, I mean, it, uh, m- many times it's about how to get there, uh, how to approach it. 
uh, maybe the duration of it, if it's some policy and shift. So the details really bite them quite often. And, you know, for example, let's look at 20, you know, 21 season. There could, there'll be a push, of course, from the Players Association to say, look, I want to play a full season. We found a way to play in the bubble. And yes, there may not be fans, but we did it and we had success and so on. That's going to be something to raise up when, say, the players or the owners, the owners may say, well, look, we want to play 120 games. We want to wait. There's a vaccine. You know, yes, we want to play as much baseball as possible, but we also want to be economically feasible. You may decide that, oh, I want to play as many games as possible, but how you define possible is going to be where the fights will lie. And that's uh, been a, a real hurdle for these two parties for pretty much since the dawn of time. And I hope for the sake of what we're all experiencing right now, they'll find a way to be as proactive as they can once they have a better sense of really the vaccine and how it's going to play out because they're going to have to decide, are they going to require it? And then the other question of how do players get this before many other people possibly in society, whether essential workers and uh, medical staff and so on. So they have some social issues to address also. And a lot of times they're not necessarily unified exactly how to do that. Well, we said before you came on, you might be the most interesting guy in the game. Why don't we get you involved in the negotiations? Why don't we <laughs> let's get you in the room with Tony Clark and Rob Manfred and get this thing done? Well, funny you should say that. I, well, I've been in that room to a, a, a small degree. I've uh, served on the executive subcommittee of the Players Association as a player, and Tony Clark was also on that committee. Don Fear and Craig Councils and Mark Loretta's of the world. So I've kind of been in the room where it happens at different times. I remember we almost went on strike in 2002, and we happened, the Phillies, we happened to be in New York. So I was able to go to the, the league offices, and I was there till like 5.30 in the morning. And we did avert a strike uh, the next day, which was, I don't take credit for that, but I at least was sort of there <laughs> to, to a large degree, as was Al Leiter and, and Tom Glavin. So, uh, so uh, yeah, it's, it's important. And Tony Clark, I still have a relationship with him, and I always offer my help or ideas or services if you ever want it. So um, I love the game. You know, I, I think you guys know that. You know, I love it. I um, want to see it shined in the best light, not only for the game to be viable and popular and successful, but also lead lead our country, lead the world, and really taking on social issues on a certain degree because it's it's the, the, the game that brought us Jackie Robinson and tremendous change. And it's also brought us a different way to experience sport. No clock, you know, timeless and uh, looks backwards as well as it does forward. So I hope we continue to recognize that and, and support that. And our game is a game that really has players from all over the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, the, the lessons from that I will always keep with me because I would show up to spring training like any other player and you'd see players converge in this where Arizona, Florida, wherever you may be from all over the world. And not only that, but all over the backgrounds of, of economics, socioeconomics, language, race, you know, it was truly tremendous. And you come away after a season with a very different perspective on people because of the intimacy, the pr close proximity of being a teammate. And uh, so I, that is, a, you know, to me, a beautiful thing, the tapestry of our diversity celebrated in, through a common goal. And, and I think in that, the game can really do so much to, to promote that power and, and still celebrate this great game. So I'm with you on it. You know, I, I hope we uh, you know, see that more and more, especially as we're really trying to right the ship here off of a 
really difficult year for our country and our world. You know, we're seeing something happen again that happens like every single year. And I don't think people on the East Coast really understand that basically ever since Billy Bean has been in charge of the A's, half the time they've been in the postseason. They have one of the great winning percentages in our game since Billy Bean took over. And we're already starting to see it where people are starting to project for 2021. You know, the A's have been to the playoffs, got a run going here, you know, winning 97 games a year, winning the division last year. And here we go again in the offseason. Oh, it's about the Astros. It's about the Angels. Why do you think, especially people in the East Coast, just don't understand the A's win? We win. (laughs) You do win. And, well, it's partly – the magic of the formula, you know, the the A's find value under a rock and because they have to have a certain vision for that value, it is sometimes hard to convey to everyone else why why there's value there. And in some degrees, you don't want to because someone might take your formula, might take your approach. So there is a little bit of mystique under it that I think serves the A's well. Uh, And many teams, you know, Tampa Bay Rays or somewhere along those lines. And, you know, it might, take away sometimes from the sex appeal of what comes with the obvious uh and but the obvious doesn't necessarily win ball games and and the a's do and they've won consistently and been always a threat uh i think players who play against the a's on the field know better (laughs) they they know like oh boy these guys like drive you crazy because they're just so efficient and uh and look i i celebrate what the a's really unearthed about the game because when you're looking for value, and if you're a player like myself who played prided himself on base running and defense and speed and things that aren't necessarily splashed up on your, your homepage or the big screen, then you understand that that is important for the game to see all the different ways you can contribute to being a winning ball player and a winning team. And the A's celebrate that in an important way that players, if you're a Kevin Kiermaier or guys like that who play great defense and and you realize that the league will find find value in you. That's something that you have to tip your cap to, to Billy Bean and the A's march to finding value. And that's a good thing to me because you see you don't have to be the billionaire team to, to be competitive. I want to go to spring training every year, no matter if I'm a player, and no matter where I am, I have a chance to win. And I have a fair, reasonable, equal chance to win. That's important. And when you just continue to you know, fuel the dragon of, of the wealth or the dynasties and all that, you you lose that ability to claim that as a sport of really having an equitable landscape. So, uh, so I yeah, so I I appreciate it, and I think players know it, managers know it, you know, GMs know it, uh, the fans may. I think they're knowing it more and more because now those analytics are so much more public, and uh, and and they see that you know you can do great things with not necessarily the obvious resources. Let's end on this. Uh, what kind of advice would you give guys who are free agents right now? You know, is, is it the try and get as much as you possibly can? Is it sign the one-year deal, hoping that the market really comes back and the virus is gone? What what advice would you give to a, a free agent? That is a great question, and um, you know, I, I know it has to be circumstantial. Each player. You know, if you're Mike Trout, someone, you know, someone really established all-star, you'll, you might look at it differently. You know, your family situation will dictate quite a bit. I, I would be nervous to go into 
2021 with the collective bargaining on the table and not have a job going into it. That would be really nerve wracking for me because imagine you say, okay, I'm going to hold out. I'm trying to do this. You miss three quarters of the season. You come in, who knows what, how long that season is. And then you get into the situation where you're going into free agency with no stats, no data behind you. Now you may not get data anyway because maybe the season doesn't happen or you know whatever I don't know, but that's going to be nerve wracking for players. So I think you kind of have to play the short game, and and then you know hope you have the ability to gain a long game out of it. And that's tough when because your window of opportunity in baseball or any sport is small, and uh, you know you're gonna have to assess where you are in your career and the risks and rewards of your choices. Well, I got to tell you, we're always smarter having you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Happy holidays. Be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, appreciate it. Sorry the confusion getting on a little late there, but thanks for your patience and, uh, you know, the Oakland faithful. Hang in there. Got a great team. Take care. Be safe. All right. You too. Take care. Always appreciate having him on. One of the top columnists in all of baseball is now going to join us, and David Schoenfield from ESPN. Great to have Dave on from ESPN and the work he does for ESPN.com. Dave, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, hey, Chris. How you doing? I'm good. Oh, man, life is good. How was your Thanksgiving? <laughs> uh, well, it was quiet. We, uh, we were going to go over to our friend's house, but uh, one of their daughter's classmates tested positive for COVID, so me and my wife were, uh, were, were stuck at home on our own. But uh, life in 2020, I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely crazy. You know, we've been talking about today on the show an article on ESPN.com about what evaluators, talent evaluators are looking for heading into next season. And it looks like <laughs> an article from the past. What we're talking about, putting the ball in play, driving in runs with runners in scoring position. We're talking about speed and defense. Is the game reverting back? Uh, well, I certainly hope so. Um, look, home runs are not going to go away. The emphasis on power is not going to go away. But it's also true that power is easy to get now, right? Everybody's hitting home runs, more or less. So what's going to differentiate one team from the other? Well, oh, yeah, these other things. Hitting for average, you know, uh, going first to third on a base hit, playing good defense, you know, uh, clutch hitting, you know, two-out hitting, of course. So, yeah. I think people are realizing the strikeout, the, the, what, what do we call it, the three true outcomes, home runs, strikeouts, and walks. We've gone too far with this. Mostly we've gone with too many strikeouts, and teams are certainly going to start em emphasizing more and better contact hitting. You know, before I went to work for the A's full-time, uh, I was in Sports Talk Radio, and I actually got a chance to cover the Golden State Warriors when they were winning titles. And clearly, the Warriors' style changed the game of basketball. Everybody realized this is the way you need to play. If you're going to compete with the Warriors, you got to play like this. And I'm wondering if, if this Dodger team 
what they did. I think we'll always remember them 2020, COVID-19, all the craziness that went with the season, the fact that they won it in the end in a neutral site. We'll always look at them as a great team. But their style of play, the fact that, yes, they hit home runs, but, yes, they put the ball in play. Yes, they can steal bases. Yes, they can play small ball. Well, we look back at this Dodger team and say, you know what? This team is what everybody wants to strive to be. Well, sure, they're good at everything, not just putting the ball in play. You know, look, what I always liked about baseball when I was growing up, like you go back to the late 70s and the 80s when I when I was a teenager and a young kid, there were different styles. You had the Red Sox and the Yankees trying to hit home runs, but you had the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, with all their stolen bases and great defense. So I would hope we get back to that and that we do have different styles in play. I mean, heck, it wasn't that long ago when the Giants won the World Series and then the Royals won the World Series, and those teams didn't hit for any power at all. Uh, part of that was because of their parks, you know. So they were good contact-hitting teams. And then the flip switched overnight. Everybody started worrying about launch angle and hitting home runs. So, again, that's not going away. Home runs are good. Going to run with one swing of the bat is good. But, yes, we need a more diverse style of play. And I, I hope that's the future of baseball in the next few years. Yeah, just to age ourselves, go back to the <laughs> old The St. Louis Cardinals were like Tommy Herr would have 100 RBIs and not even have – and he beat single-digit home runs. Yeah, he had, a, he had one year, 100, 100 RBIs, and, the, you know, it was definitely an under 10 home runs. You had Willie McGee and Ozzie Smith getting on base. Uh, so, look, plus, look, these athletes in baseball, they, they're fantastic, but they're not asked, or the game doesn't allow them to show it off as much, right? You know, we don't steal as many bases, and as great as they are on defense, there's not as many balls in play because there's so many strikeouts. So we don't get to see their great defensive abilities. So, yeah, I want to see more balls in play, more base running, and allow these guys to showcase their athleticism. You know, we're never going to get the opportunity to be free agents and sign multi-year, million-dollar <laughs> contracts. But in this offseason, if you were a free agent, and let's say you're on the right side of age, are you saying – man, just give me a one-year deal. Let me go try and win a championship, and hopefully by the next offseason, things are back to normal. Or do you want to get your money now, but you're probably not going to get as much as you would in a normal uh, offseason? How would you approach free agency? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I, my colleague, Kylie McDaniel, he ranked his top 100 free agents. Only five of those guys have signed so far, and two of those were guys who accepted a – qualifying offer to go back to their team so there's been no movement at all um and you know two for the guys that have signed signed one-year deals so yeah um the money is not going to be there maybe there's the four the four top guys trevor bauer george bringer uh jt real muto and dj lemay they're they're going to get a nice deal they're they're fantastic players but everybody else you know, if you get a nice one-year offer, you might consider jumping on that because if if it comes to the start of spring training and you don't have, don't have a contract, you know, you're going to have to take, you know, 10 cents on the dollar, which is still a lot of cents, but uh, uh, maybe not what you would are, were looking for. 
you know, I, I didn't think about this during the season. You know, I worked every game we had. And, you know, we were just happy to get through it and, and get to the postseason. But someone brought up a very interesting point. And when you, like, look at Trevor Bauer, it's like, as a professional athlete, you had to gear up basically for 11 or 12 starts. Right. This, this is not 33 or 32. You just had to be good for two months. How much can you trust that? Yeah, no, and it, it's, it goes both ways. The guys who were great for two months, you know, and the guys that weren't great for, for two months. How do you interpret that? Yeah, you're right. Trevor Bauer, he was not that great in 2019. You know, he was great in 2018, mediocre in 2019, and great in 2020. So you roll the dice and say, well, he's been good two out of three years. So he's an ace. He's a Cy Young winner. I'll give him a big, huge, fat contract. But you make a really good point that as a pitcher in particular, you know, knowing you're only going to throw 60 innings, 70 innings max, you can go all out. You don't have to pace yourself. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either. But I think that's a good, you know, potential red flag for Trevor Bauer that we're not really sure he's quite on that, you know, number one level on a consistent basis. And someone brought up the Yankees and something that we learned that obviously uh, – None of us cover UCLA baseball, but uh, he and Garrett Cole aren't the best of friends. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I don't see that working. Um, where, where, where do you think he might end up? If I had to guess, I, I, I would pull on the heartstrings of Artie Moreno and bring him back to Southern California because God knows uh, they need pitching. It's desperate they need pitching. But if you had to guess, where do you think he signs? Yeah, I, I know certainly going back to their UCLA days, they were, uh, you know, not the best of friends. I think they've, from stuff I've read and understand, that that's cooled off a little. They're not going to be hanging out, you know, together after games. But if the money's right, that's not going to be a, a, a roadblock for him to go to the Yankees. So, yeah, the Angels are up there. I think the one concern, Bauer, he has said, I want to play for a contender. You know, does he think the Angels can jump up to that level? I'm not so sure. So uh, I think the Yankees and the Mets might get in a nice little New York bidding war. The Mets with their new owner, richest owner in baseball, wants to spend, wants to improve the team. So the Mets are my favorite, uh, but they're, they weren't a contender. They didn't make the playoffs last year, you know, so that could open it up to – you know, teams like the Angels, and maybe, hey, would you roll out the Dodgers, you know, improving their team even more by signing them? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem fair, does it? <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. Well, by the way, uh, my producer, Cody, believes everybody's going to sign with the Mets. He thinks every free <laughs> Mets. Uh, I don't know how many roster spots they're going to be allowed to have, but uh, he sees the Mets, uh, uh, you name it, LeMayhew, Bauer, uh, Real Muto, he sees yeah. everybody going to the Mets. I mean, most everybody, kind of the insiders, they're predicting maybe the Mets do sign two of those four guys. You know, um, that's a nice haul for an offseason. But remember, we've gone through this before. I mean, the Phillies a couple years ago when they traded for Real Muto and signed Bryce Harper and signed Andrew McCutcheon and they signed somebody else. They traded for Gene Segura. They improved one win, you know, so signing all these guys isn't always the right answer. Well, speaking of the fight in Phillies, uh, it, it came out that at first they lost $2 billion. Now it's $145 million. 
I mean, when you see this, is this just projections? I mean, did, did, did the Philadelphia Phillies really at the end of the year pay out more money than they made? I, I just, I, I'm having a hard time buying that. I understand your projections you lost, but in cash, they lost 145 million. I'm kind of, I'm skeptical on that. Where are, where are you? Yeah, it's so hard. Look, baseball owners have such a, uh, shall we say, cloudy history of revealing the truth with their financial ledgers. It's hard to know what to read into what happened in 2020. Look, there's no doubt teams lost money, you know. Um, But again, like you said, are they basing that off their projected, you know, positive revenue? And then what, you know, what, how, how far below that they fell? I don't know. And it's also, it's an interesting leak. Is this the way of saying, oh, yeah, we're not going to sign Real Muto, so here's our excuse. We lost all this money, so we can't afford to pay him now. Who knows? You know, the, we need to get some accountants uh, to speak on the record. Come on, MLB accountants, give us the truth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one guy that we're really looking at, and, you know, we love him to death, is Marcus Simeon. And yep. he's a Bay Area kid. I know for a fact, uh, wife doesn't want to move, wants to raise. She also went to Cal, uh, volleyball player, and she wants to remain here. You know, with the way the market is, like how valuable is Marcus Simeon? And really, is it just best for him, one of these guys, to sign a one-year deal and come back to the A's? Yeah, he's in a, a really tough position, you know, twofold. A lot of the contending teams out there are already set at shortstop other than the A's unless he goes back there. Right. But number two, if he does say he signs a one year deal, since he didn't have a great 2020 bets on himself to have a better 2021, unfortunately next year, all these other great shortstops are also hitting free agency, right? Carlos Correa, Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Javier Byatt, Trevor Story. You have five other all-star shortstops all in free agency, you know, as much as I love Marcus, he might be number six on that, that list. So he's in a really, like your, your first question, he's in a tough position on, on what to do this offseason. Yeah, and I and I want him to get his money because this guy has worked so hard and he's been so yep. good for the A's, and I, I just hope the A's can come to a deal. You know, we're also dealing with the possibility of, of Billy Bean no longer being with the A's. And – You know, what Billy Bean has done in Major League Baseball is Hall of Fame worthy. He changed the game. I mean, if if Brad Pitt plays you in a movie, obviously (laughs) he's done some good things. Um, If this is it for Billy in Major League Baseball, when you look back, how will you view Billy Bean's career in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I was, you know, I was thinking about this year. Fine producer Cody had uh, mentioned he might bring this up, and with – Theo Epstein, you know, recently leaving the Cubs, I was thinking, wow, who does have the bigger legacy? I get it. Theo, you know, I guess in, you can say it's Theo, right? He won the two World Series. He ended two curses. But he he was with big market teams. He had money to play with. The team he inherited in Boston was already a 90-win team. He just had to put a couple final touches on it. Yeah, he built the Cubs up. You know, or Billy Bean, to me, has had the much tougher assignment with the the small market Oakland A's, never having a lot of money. You know, he's really built that team 
three different times, right? The early 2000s, the you know 2011 era, and then this team. So he's proven three times he could win without being able to just buy free agents. That's a remarkable legacy in my book. You know, him and Theo really spawned this whole entire generation of analytics. Um, I know he hasn't been to a World Series, but in my mind, he's a Hall of Fame general manager. You know, basically, Dave, half the time he's been in the postseason. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that Billy never does, he never goes into rebuild mode. He's, yep. had, he's had teams that lose, but he he's always tried to win, which is kind of against what a lot of, you know, we see so many teams now that they just go into rebuild mode, tear it all down, try and build it back up. Billy never did that. No, that's a great point, Chris. And I think what that, they drafted Mark Mulder third or fourth, you know, overall one year. And then since then, I think they've only had one or two other top 10 picks, you know, and none of those were top five. So yeah, never being able to draft high, you know, when the Cubs and the Astros rebuilt, they tanked. They had all those high picks to sort of help create that foundation. Yeah. Billy Bean never did that. And look again, He's rebuilt that team three times. That's just so impressive. You know, it's one thing to do it once. You know, Theo has built the Cubs once. Now he quit, you know, <laughs> uh, before they go downhill. So all the credit to Billy Bean and what he's done through the years. Let, let's end on this. I know it's going to be a slow off season, but I'm fine with that. That's because we're going to have news in December. We're going to have news in January. <laughs> February, hopefully spring training. What's the number one thing you're looking forward to this offseason that you want to see get done? Uh, well, I mean, we're not. It's not going to get done this season. But we're uh, the the CBA between the players and the owners runs out after 2021. So I'm not hearing any news on a negotiation on that front. But I would like to see some progress because. I don't want to get us through 2021 and then we're in a, a lockout or a strike situation in 2022. So let's, you know, and COVID makes this negotiation that much more complicated because of all the money lost. But I would like to see the owners and the players start negotiating on that next CBA. Oh, uh, no doubt about that. Hey, thank you for the time. We always appreciate it. Be safe and we'll talk soon. All right. You bet, Chris. From a columnist to a play-by-play man, Dan Schulman once was the voice of Sunday Night Baseball. He's the voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, and he does everything for ESPN. He does baseball. He does college basketball. Here is Dan Schulman. We'll learn a lot, too, about what's happening with the United States and Canada. Dan, how Hello. are you? Chris with the Oakland A's. How you doing? Well, first of all, congratulations. Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. What a great award. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, no, I was, uh, surprised and honored and flattered and, and, and all that. And, and, you know, whenever you're recognized by your peers and your own and, and, you know, being Canadian means a lot to me. So it was very cool. Yeah. When we heard that, we, we were so happy for you. I mean, you know, once you're hall of famer, they can't take that away from you. That's right. Yeah. As, as somebody once said to me about RBIs, you can't take them off the board. Once they're up there, they're up there. So, um, but yeah, it's, I'm hoping COVID allows us to have, I've been to the ceremony a couple of times when other people have, have gone into the Hall of Fame, and, and uh, I'm hoping COVID allows us to do that, although technically I'm not 
inducted in the Hall of Fame. It's the media award given by the Hall of Fame, but they still invite me to the ceremony. So hopefully uh, the pandemic will be in a good enough spot where we can have some fun uh, with it this summer. So the last time we talked to you was the World Series, and you told us about how once you went back home, you were after quarantine away from your family so mm-hmm. y- your, your kids could go to school. Uh, what was that like? How was that experience? Not, not fun. <laughs> um, so I, I rented an apartment in downtown Toronto for 14 days. It was right after the playoffs. So uh, three or four days were spent watching the election coverage. That helped me kill a little bit of time. Uh, but I was in a, you know, like a small one-bedroom apartment for 14 days. So I, I ordered my groceries. I did my Uber Eats. Uh, I didn't have a balcony. I had a window so I could see out, but I didn't have a balcony or anything. And then here's how dumb I am. I discovered on the last night, literally the 14th and final night that I was there, that I had MLB Network on on the cable package. I didn't realize that until the very last night. So good good job by me. But uh, it, it wasn't great. I'm in the U.S. now doing some college basketball and I'm going home on the weekend. But because it's the holidays, I'm going to quarantine at home because nobody's in school. So it's not something you have to you have to worry about, but it's, uh, yeah, I hope I don't have to do that again. So when, when, when I think about the relationship between the United States and Canada, and when I think about whether it's the Raptors or the Blue Jays, I think about hockey, the national hockey league. How do you think this is going to work? In what sense? American teams going into Canada. Oh, going into Canada. Okay. Um, well, it's not going to happen in the short term. So the Raptors are starting off the season in Tampa, uh, like the Blue Jays. They're playing in the U.S. because the border is closed. They asked the government for permission to play and to have teams come into Toronto, and the federal government said no. So uh, that's the way it is for the Raptors, at least for the time being. For the Blue Jays, they've got a few more months to play with. Don't know how that's going to work. Um, if by April 1st, things are better. Maybe they get a chance to start the season at home, but my guess is no. My guess is they start maybe in Dunedin, Florida at their spring training facility, which is a recently basically uh, torn down and renovated stadium. It's got major league lighting. It's really nice. Apparently, I haven't been there. They just did it in the last year, but it looks nice. Maybe the Blue Jays start there, and if, you know, in May, June, July, whenever things are better, then maybe they get a chance to go home. For hockey, it sounds like there will be a Canadian division, so the seven Canadian teams will play in their own division and there won't be any crossing the border. So uh, all three sports are having to uh, adapt and figure this out on the fly. And right now it's right now for the Raptors and the Blue Jays. Raptors, definitely. It's not happening right now. So we, you know, we've been hearing the rumors that the Blue Jays could be players in free agency. We know they've got a, a fine young nucleus, uh, if they are going to start the season down at their spring training facility, do you see them being players in free agency? Yeah, they're trying. And, and listen, there, there are some players, and I totally get it, who might say, you know what, I don't know if I want to sign there if I don't know where you're going to play. Now, to me, there's a difference between a one-year guy and a five-year guy. Like a five-year guy might say, well, it's fine. You know, so you might play in Dunedin for two months. Uh, you'll be in Toronto the rest of the time. A one-year guy might say, geez, I don't know if I want to commit for one year to a place where I don't know where they're going to play. So it could be a bit of a hindrance. You know, nobody knows for sure, but there could be some players who say, geez, I'm not sure. And then the Blue Jays might have to offer a little more money to try to 
tip the scales. And maybe that'll work. Maybe that won't. I don't know. But they are definitely trying to be players in free agency. I don't know if they're going to get, you know, sounds like Springer's going to the Mets. I know they're interested in LeMayhew. I imagine they're interested in Real Muto. I don't know if they're going to get guys like that. But for the first time, well, they got Ryu last year, but they're they're out there trying to throw their money around right now. They, uh, You mentioned the good young nucleus, and young is just as important as good because these guys don't make any money. They've all got like a year plus in the major leagues. And if I'm the Blue Jays, now's the time to strike. There, there aren't that many teams out there spending money right now. The Blue Jays seem to be one of the few. And when, when I heard the rumor that, hey, maybe the Blue Jays are in for Lindor, and I'm like, wow, with Bo Bichette yeah. at shortstop, like, how would that work? So, yeah, a couple of things. So the president and the GM of the Blue Jays both come from the Cleveland organization. They were there when Lindor was drafted. They know him. He knows them. That can't work. Um, how it would work is Bo Bichette wants to be a shortstop. Uh, and I think he can be a good shortstop. I would say he was an average defensive shortstop last year. He can really swing the bat, as we know. But he has said, if it's going to help the team get better, if they bring in a guy who's like clearly better than me, I'm cool with it. And Lindor is great. He really is. So um, I don't know if Bo would be happy if they just picked up some, you know, run-of-the-mill rental guy for a year. But if they get Lindor, then I think Bo would be okay with it. And he could move to second or third. Uh, I, I think second base probably is where he would go. But they've got a lot of positional flexibility. they got a lot of guys – who can play uh, multiple positions. So I, it still feels to me like it's a long shot they get Lindor. The only way I could see it happening is if they get like a negotiation window and sign him to a long-term deal. I don't think they're going to trade really good pieces out of their farm system for one year for a rental. It's just not the way that the front office in Toronto is wired. But if they can sign him to a five-year deal or something like that, then you never know. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was really good news to hear about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. losing weight, uh, you know, owning it and wanting to get better. And he wants to play third base, you know, because, you know, here in the Bay Area, we lived through the whole Pablo Sandoval thing where basically right. um, he ate himself out of being a, a terrific player. Just how good a news was that for the organization to know how much this kid cares and the work that he's putting in? It's great. So he's apparently lost 40, maybe 45 pounds since July, since the season began. Um, and he's still about 240. So he was over 280 uh, in July, um, which is just too much. As you said, you know, from Sandoval, what, you know, how that goes. So I think it's great. And, and listen, Vladdy's only 21. It's not like he's 28, 29. You know, he's still a kid. And, and I think he looked around and said, you know, look at Acuna and look at Tatis and look at Soto. He's supposed to be in that group, right? He like he's supposed to be one of those guys, at least offensively. He's supposed to be a wrecking ball at the plate already. So, and and I think uh, whether somebody got to him or he just realized he messed up, and and he's and he's trying to fix it right now, and it's great. You know, but this is a long term thing. Time will tell, year by year, that sort of thing. Uh, he says he, he's been very outspoken in the winter saying he wants to play third. He wants to go back to third. I don't know if they're going to let him do it. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. They moved him over to first last year. It didn't go well. Third didn't go well two years ago, though. He, and he's never going to be a gold glover or anything close to it. They would just love him to be average or even close to average. If they have him at third, 
then they've got even more flexibility. Because if he's at first and Rowdy Telez is at first, one of them has to DH every day. And then they, they like to cycle guys through the DH spot. Say Oscar Hernandez, Randall Gritchick, Lourdes Gurriel, Kevin Biggio. They can't do that if Vladdy and Telez are both over at first. So I think they'd like to give him a chance at third, but I don't know how they're going to evaluate this. I don't know if they're watching his, his games in winter ball or if they'll give him a shot in spring training whenever that happens. But he really, really wants it. He's been outspoken about that. When you look at the East, you know, we know the Yankees and we know the Rays. How far away do you think the Blue Jays are from truly competing with those two? Um, a little closer than you think, to be honest with you. Now, there's a lot that's going to happen between them and the start of the season. Um, I'm assuming the Yankees re-sign LeMahieu, and I'm assuming they go out and get a really good starting pitcher because they're the Yankees. They need a starting pitcher. Their rotation is really thin. The Rays have lost Charlie Morton, but they do get a full year out of Randy Rosarena, which I think is going to help. But then the big thing with them is, are they going to trade Blake Snell? I think the Rays might take a little bit of a step back. They're fantastic. I'm a huge fan of everything the Rays do, basically. Um, but I think I think they could take a little bit of a step back. I think the Blue Jays if they spend their money this winter, and, and, and I don't just mean if they get a LeMayhew or Springer, say they don't get those guys, but say they go out and get Colton Wong and Liam Hendricks and uh, Jake Odorizzi. You know, so three, Hendricks is a great reliever, but three good players. Maybe no Lindor, LeMayhew, or Springer, but three good players. They're going to be pretty good if they get those guys. Um, their young guys are going to be a year more experienced, a year better. I think if the Blue Jays spend this winter, and everything indicates that they will, let's assume it's a 162-game season, which I know it does, probably isn't going to be. But in a full season, I think they're ready to push the 90-win plateau. I, I think they're getting there. Um, now, they're in a tough division, as you said, with the Yankees and Rays, but the Red Sox are down. Uh, and I think they're ready to make some noise this year uh, and maybe be a real heavyweight by 2022. I got to tell you, it's exciting to watch the baby Jays. I mean, watching these guys yeah. and with the names on the back of the jerseys, I, you know, we covered their fathers. It's just, right. uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's really a, a cool story. Um, when I think about the college bass, are you calling games at the arena or are you in a studio? I have done five games so far. I did two at an arena and three from a studio. And then I had two more games that I was supposed to be on get canceled. So I am currently in Charlotte, where I was supposed to call two games from a studio this week. Came here to Charlotte just to do that. Both games got canceled. So I've been in this. I've been in a hotel room in Charlotte for six days, doing not much of anything. Uh, and tomorrow I'm flying to Lubbock, Texas. Believe it or not, I'm doing a game at Texas Tech Thursday, and then I'm supposed to do a game at Wisconsin Saturday. And then I'm going home Saturday night for about three weeks. And they're setting up one of these uh, broadcast from home kits in my house. And I'll do a few games over the holidays from my house. And then we don't have any plans into January. Um, you know, they're, the, the traveling us around thing is complicated for obvious reasons. So I could come back down to the, to the U.S. and do games on site or a mix of on site and in studio. Or I could just stay at home and do them from there. I haven't been told yet. Well, it's just crazy because here in the Bay Area, especially the county that we're in, Santa Clara County, you know, the home of the Niners, mm -hmm. uh, the Sharks, uh, Stanford, San Jose State, 
they're not allowed to play. So the Niners are playing in Arizona, San Jose State. We're at uh, we're we're down playing at Sam Boyd in Las Vegas, and it's so weird. Like you look, you know, finally my school, San Jose State, we're in the top twenty-five. But you're looking at the top twenty-five, and everybody in the East and the Midwest, they've played like 10, 11 games. You're calling yeah. games now, but where we are, we're not allowed to play at home. I know. It, 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 like everything else, it's just surreal. And, you know, we'll look back on this 20 years from now and just be amazed at everything that happened and everything that people tried to go through. And, you know, our little sports department is, you know, like the, the tiniest sliver of reality, right, compared to what everybody else um, is going through. So I, I have mixed emotions. On the one hand, I'd, I'd love to be on site. It's, it's fun. And it's easier to call a game from an arena than from a studio. On the other hand, if they said to me, we're not traveling anybody, stay home and call games from home the next three months, like I'm not going to argue with that either, right? That has obvious advantages and lessens my concerns about getting the virus and, and that sort of thing. So uh, I, I don't know about you. My you know, my attitude right now with my boss is you know, just tell me what you want me to do and, and I'll do it. And we work together to try to make it make sense. But you just got to be flexible. Like, you know, the best laid plans, right? Everything goes up in smoke. Um, at a moment's notice. So you just got to be flexible and, and go go at this thing day by day. Well, it's always great to have you on the program. We truly appreciate it. Congratulations on the award. I think that's huge uh, to be in your country's Hall of Fame. And then I think someday you're going you're gonna to have that Ford C. Frick Award too. So uh, always a pleasure to have you on. Be safe, have a great holiday, and we'll talk to you in 2021. All right. I appreciate that. Same to you. And finally, we'll finish with Jesse Rogers from ESPN.com. Jesse, how you doing? Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Good to talk to you again. What's happening, guy? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. And, you know, we're just uh, we're just talking about we had C.J. Nikowski on from the Rangers, and we were talking about, you know, certain teams, and we started talking about the Cubs, and you're like, man, once you got rid of the curse of the goat and knowing what people pay to go to Wrigley Field – Theo now leaves. Are they going to, with all, you got a bunch of still players. Like we're talking about Chris Bryant still in his prime. Uh, what's going to happen in Chicago? It really is a great question. It's a bit of a transition. You know, they had their little run there. Uh, I mean, you can't, you can't get to the world series every year. Now they only made it once, but the bottom line is um, it, it's going to be a retool situation uh, one way or another. The pandemic hasn't helped matters. Um, Lots of money going out, um, not as much coming in. And you know what that means, a reduced payroll. So that's what we're going to see coming up with the Cubs. Now, in my opinion, they should probably do some sort of a full rebuild, but that's not what's going to happen more than likely. Um, they're going to try to do their best to finagle this thing and see where, where it goes. But I, I think they, they, they're, they're almost in a, in a no-man's-land situation. That's the problem with them right now. Yeah, I mean, you think about Boston, who has the highest ticket prices in all of the game, and you're watching Mookie Betts win the World Series with the Dodgers. That just makes me think, like, if you're going to get rid of Rizzo or Brian or Baez, that's going to be a bad look. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and Brian's probably the most likely to go one way or another. Uh, I'd say Kyle Schwarber after that. They'll probably still build around um, – uh, uh, Javi Baez. I think they will sign him eventually, but they're not quite there yet. It's just a different situation um, with the pandemic. You know, you, you, your payroll is going to have to be reduced if you're the Cubs. Seventy percent of your revenue comes from the uh, game day tickets and things like that. So 
it, it's kind of like whatever plan you had a year ago, you've got to rip it up and, and start over. And yeah, someone's probably going to be gone in their prime. And that, and that's most likely Chris Bryant. You know, when I think about Theo, I mean, it's a legendary career. I mean, he got rid of the curse of the goat. He got rid of the curse of the Bambino. I mean, the two biggest curses in baseball, uh, Theo Epstein uh, got rid of them. I mean, he's, he's going to be a hall of famer someday. What was it like there in Chicago when he stepped down? Well, it wasn't completely unexpected, which, which to be honest, is a surprise in itself because how many executives stepped down with a year to go and 10 million on your contract. And he probably could have signed another deal. But um, those of us that know him well, kind of, uh, you know, you, you actually didn't have to know him well. He's forecasted this for years. He's, he's quoted Bill Walsh, uh, someone else. I'm stealing this from someone else. He's quoted Bill Walsh more than Bill Walsh has said this, that 10 years in yep. one place might be enough time. And he's kind of said that over, over, over the years. And when they won the world series, and he signed a new five-year deal. You kind of figured, okay, he's crossed that sort of thing off of his um, off of his list. Uh, he'll probably finish out the five years and be gone. So I guess the big surprise is he left ten million on the table. But it wasn't shocking that he um, uh, that he he quit. Bottom line, it's just not that shocking. He just was a little restless and pretty much accomplished everything he needed to here. I start thinking about a guy like that, you know, what he's done with Boston and Chicago. I just don't, at this point, you need, you know, we're even talking about Billy Bean now potentially making a move. I just don't see him being in baseball anymore. Where where do you think Theo will go? I mean, some people thought politics or what do you think his next move is? Well, he, again, he's been pretty honest about it. I mean, he he says he's going to get back into, into baseball. He'd like to run a third team. Um, I think he's even mentioned this publicly that I don't think an executive has won. Maybe Dombrowski has three World Series with three different teams. I, I think he's going to take a break, though. There's no doubt. Um, this guy, he, he's a philanthropist as well. He, he's very much in due causes. And I think he's made enough money and has enough cachet that he's going to try to use his you know, intellect, his, his influence in a positive way. Uh, that could be political, but not running for office. I think he said it the other day, politics doesn't interest him, but policy does. So I think he's going to step back from baseball a little bit, um, though not completely. He might have a hand in a team or consulting with the office or something. There's a new CBA on the horizon. Uh, and then I think, you know, if, if you believe him, there's, there's a third act. I was a little surprised he, he's already said that. They'll have a third act in baseball. Maybe there's an ownership stake somewhere. I was a little surprised, but – Look, when you step away from this thing and you get a couple years um, rest, uh, you get the itch. You know, most of these guys get the itch to get back in. So in some in some ways, I'm I'm, I'm surprised, but I'm, I'm also not surprised. I'm just surprised he said it so quickly. Like maybe a year from now, he would be, okay, I feel better. I'm rested. I'm going to get back in it. But he's already said he wants a third chapter running a team. Well, I loved his press conference where he talked about how we've made the game more boring. <laughs> I just it was it was so honest and so real. And then the articles came out about, hey, maybe Theo can go to work for Major League Baseball and fix baseball. Uh, I thought, what did you think about those comments? Oh yeah, not again, not surprising being around him. I, I, and he understands that him and Jed. I used to text Jed, you know, back when the Red Sox were a little bit more relevant a few years ago, and they were playing the Yankees. I feel like the Red Sox Yankees four hour games 
were a thing like started up like five, six, seven years ago. It was just like they were going four, four and a half. Now it's like the norm. Anyway, I remember texting Jed and he goes, and, and Jed Hoyer, who's now the president, he said, I said, man, this is brutal. It's like watching paint dry. He goes, yeah, I feel the same way. I go, yeah, but this is your fault. He goes, I know, I know. They were aware. My point is they brought that to the game because that was the edge that they found that, 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 uh, uh, you know, the money ball thing, you know, walks were as good as hits. Right. Um, and long pitch count and make the, make the starting pitcher come out of the game after five innings. These were all part of Jed and Theo, Billy Bean, um, in their various places years ago. And now it's the norm, uh, the long game because plate discipline became the thing. So he's aware of it, but, but until they change the rules, until they do something about it, every executive is going to take advantage of it even if they don't like it, because winning is more important than having an entertaining product. If you talk to an exec, I mean, we all know that, but if they change the rules, that will help. Now, for example, Theo, instead of like the three batter rule and things like that, he would like to limit a pitching staff to 10 or 11 pitchers. That would, that would um, advance things as much as anything else would, uh, because you would leave your pitchers in there longer automatically, right? If you only have 10 or 11, you, you can't be running through them, right? You would train your pitchers to go longer. You would train your starters to go longer. So, like, there is one – Not I, think, I don't even think it's outside the box. I mean, three batter minimums to me is outside the box. Just putting a, a, a cap on your pitchers on a, on a pitching staff, to me, that's not that out of the box. I mean, there's, there's roster size limits in every sport, so to speak. So, anyway, that's an example of something Theo would do. He would limit the number of pitchers on a pitching staff and he thinks that would check off about five boxes, including quickening a game up because you just can't change pitchers as often. How odd is it going to be if we go into the 2021 season, no Theo and no Billy Bean? Because there's a chance Billy could be leaving our organization, as you mentioned, Moneyball. Uh, that's going to be pretty strange. No Theo, no Billy Bean. Yeah, they, they both get out when the product's at its worst, right? When they wait, when they helped create it, so to speak. Very weird, very weird. It's already weird around here in Chicago. I'm just so used to, you know, covering Theo. And, and uh, you know, I, I think both guys in their own way, maybe Theo a little bit more publicly, are, are so good at articulating a message. Um, I don't know Billy that well, but I'm obviously behind the scenes, he's certainly articulating it. But Theo is so good with the media, and that's why – he could be good in politics or policy because that's all about articulating a message. So for my money, very strange if both were out from a media standpoint, from a team building standpoint, these guys are two of the best. All right. So I'm going to take the Mets off the board. So mm -hmm. 29 teams, who are you more interested in, in the offseason making moves? And we take the Mets out. Well, I'm a local guy, right? I'm in Chicago, and um, it, it's definitely the White Sox. I mean, uh, for me, uh, but th th I would say there's a tie. Let's let's. Let, I would say there's a tie because there's a bunch of emerging teams here, and I want to see who is going to put that final piece together. Um, I don't know if the Blue Jays are one piece away, but they're in that category. The Padres, the White Sox, um, those are the teams that interest me. Who's about to take that next step? more so than even the Mets. I mean, yeah, they're going to throw some money at some teams. And, and frankly, they're, they're, they're probably could be contenders as well. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is money doesn't even interest me as much as who's – because I know the White Sox. I know the Padres. I know the Blue Jays probably aren't going to spend 
I know this for a fact, probably aren't going to spend the world. Now, they may spend more than some other teams. My point is, who's going to be creative? Who's going to make that scouting move that's going to put them over the top? I mean, Steve Cohn is just going to throw some money at some people. That's easy when you can do that. So that's what I'm interested. These teams that took that step this year and want to make that final one. Is it going to be about money? Is it going to be about being creative in a trade? What are you going to do to help Fernando and Manny out there? Um, they're close. The White Sox are close. Blue Jays, I believe, I feel like are, are a little bit behind those two teams. That, those are the teams that I'm looking at. Like, I don't care what the Seattle Mariners do, right? I want to know those teams that are ready to, to jump up into the league category with the Dodgers, the Yankees, and those kind of teams. You know, we haven't heard a lot out here, and obviously Tony is a friend of the program, but uh, has there been anything about the DUI in Arizona with Tony La Russa? No, it's been very quiet. Um, he has a court hearing coming up, I believe it's like the 7th, something like that, early December here. Uh, hopefully they'll, they'll address some things moving forward. I mean, in some ways he was fortunate timing-wise. There's nothing going on. There's not even a winter meetings to confront yeah. him on this. Now, there will be a virtual winter meetings, and he will be assigned a time to speak to the media, and that, that Zoom room is going to be full because he really hasn't addressed it. The team hasn't. They, they, they signed him. It came out a day or two later, and he hasn't been available. I mean, that's something about the pandemic. You can make yourself not available. But soon enough, he's going to have to address this and, and move forward. Um, I think the week of the 14th, the league is going to set up Zoom interviews with all the managers. So, you know, once the virtual winter meetings get going, the White Sox and Tony are going to have to address this in some manner. And, you know, there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it right. It's a little bit more touchy with a second DUI and getting it right after or getting charged right before you get hired. So there's some, there's some, there's a, there's a tightrope he's got to walk. The White Sox have to walk. They can do it, but the longer they wait, the worse it looks, you know? No, yeah. Well, we, we learned in the playoffs, this White Sox team is no day at the beach. They, they're a comer. I mean, this is a team that, you know, I mean, you go to Vegas and you want to put some money down. I mean, the White Sox, these guys are no joke. Yeah, and that's why, you know, the Larusa hiring got a lot of pushback. But I think mostly because nobody expected it. But look, he is smart enough to know that there's so much talent on this team. All he has to do is go out in the mound and point to the right-hander or point to the left-hander, right? Just set the lineup. This team's going to bash. And then when you get to the playoffs, I mean, who, who can do it better than Larusa if he's still capable after 10 years away? So I'm, I believe more in Larusa because he doesn't have a lot to do. You know, just put the finishing touches on this thing like Joe Madden did with the Cubs, like we've seen, you know, managers come in and do. So, um, yeah, he's got a Rolls Royce of a team. He wasn't the expected hire. It's a little bit more of a risk because he hasn't managed in 10 years. But you don't get to be the third winningest manager of all time without a little, you know, know-how. Um, and, and understanding. And I think he understands two things. I have been away. The game has changed a little bit. Players have changed. I'm going to have to change as well. Like I got that vibe from him in, in the opening uh, press conference. So I'm going to assume until I see something different that he can handle the changes that, that are you know part of baseball um, since the last time he managed. I, the, the thing that was laughable for me when they're like, how's he going to deal with these kids? He dealt with Jose Canseco and Ricky Henderson, two of the biggest pain in the you-know-whats in the history of the game. This guy yeah. has dealt with the biggest egos. Uh, he had to go through the Mark, Mark McGuire deal in, in St. Louis with the home run chase. 
I mean, Tony's seen it all. Like, you think like these kids are gonna? You think these kids are gonna be tougher than dealing with Ricky Anderson? I mean, come on. Well, I no, I don't, I don't. But I will say this: I will. Here's, I say no, but then I might say yes because the word millennial was not part of our vocabulary back in the Conseco days. So. <laughs> It is possible millennial could be tougher than Henderson, Conseco, McGuire combined. <laughs> I say that because I'm older than millennials. I can make fun of them. So that's the one thing. I agree. He's, he's, he's managed in different eras. He's managed in different leagues. Like he's been around enough to, to obviously to know how to adjust, but he has never dealt with a millennial. The great news, though, if you're a White Sox fan, he hasn't been on a beach in, for t- the last 10 years. He's been in three organizations, and he's been involved in them, even if it's been behind the scenes. That matters. That absolutely matters. In fact, many new managers start in the front office and come down. He went manager, front office, manager. I think he's well-schooled in things. Um, just you know, Once these guys get in the dugout, they don't act their age many times if they're smart enough. So the Joe Maddens and Tony Roosters of the world still have a place. And uh, let's let's see. Let, I would say at least give him the benefit of the doubt. Remember this: no millennial was coming out of Madonna's apartment in New York like Jose Canseco. That's right. You're right about that. They'd be they'd be fortunate to be able to do that. I don't think millennials have the same game, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, the great! I love Jose. Hey, hey, always always great to have you on. Truly appreciate it. Be safe, and let's talk soon. Sure. Take care, man. Well, I'd like to thank Doug Glanville, Dan Schulman, David Schoenfield, and Jesse Rogers. Now back to A's Cast, powered by iHeartRadio. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.